This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 156. You know, that was how it happened. And, you know, learned a lot from that. So um, now we have a much more smaller scale property management group involved and a much higher level of service, monthly report. And yeah, we're feeling good. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. Happy New Year, Brandon. Happy. Happy New Year, Josh Dorkin. How you yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah. I'm good, man. I'm good. As you can probably hear, I'm a little, little sick here. Little, re- little recovery from from. You're the- always sick. What are you talking about? Uh, You're a sick no. person. What can I say? Really? <laughs> Why are you so mean? Like everybody talks about what a nice guy you are. It's not li- true. Like they no. don't realize you're such. You're you're kind of mean. Well, here's what I realized this week. Somebody said something in the forums, and they said, "I just watched a YouTube video of." the Bigger Pockets podcast because we you know we put this on YouTube as well. And they said, I totally had Brandon and Josh's faces mixed up with their voices. And somebody else said, I did too. And then somebody else was like, I did too. And I realized people have no idea that I'm you and you're... So they like people think that I'm you and you're me. And, and uh, I think that's weird. So maybe really they're actually thinking I pick on you more and they just, they're just they saying the wrong thing to your face. I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know. Who, who picks know. on who most? You guys should let us know in the uh, comments of this show. Oh, yeah. Biggerpockets.com slash show 156. Let us know what you think. Let us know. All right, guys, we've got a really cool show today. Uh, Before we go into uh, the show, let's bust out today's quick tip. Tip. All right, right. today's quick tip. You got it? Brandon. You got it? Would you want it? I got it. I'll take it. I'll take it. It's a new year. Let's, you know, I'll I'll be generous. More generous. Uh, Today's quick tip is a brand new feature on Bigger Pockets called the Rental Property Portfolio Tracker. Uh, And basically, what this does is it allows you to enter in your properties that you currently have uh, and you can track the, you know, like, the process. I mean, basically the idea of your property address, the purchase date, purchase price, current value, loan balance, equity, and your monthly cash flow. So you have like this one nice page where all your properties are at. Uh, you can see what your cash flow looks like, how much your net worth is currently, and you can download a PDF or share uh, just like a PDF document with anybody you want. So if you're trying to get a bank loan, you can print out this nice document. So check it out at biggerpockets.com slash portfolio and start using it. Nice, nice. It's free. Awesome. By the way, yeah, it's free for everyone and it's in beta mode. So, you know, we're still working on it, trying to make it better, but we could use your advice on how to make it better. So get in there, use it, try it out and see what you think. Yeah. Awesome. Great tool. Cool. Yeah. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. 
You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. All right, guys. Let's cut to this thing. Today's guest is Mark Spidell. Mark's a real estate investor with a really interesting background. He's built a pretty cool portfolio with both long-term and short-term rentals. He's got a great story and a really cool philosophy on life, which includes something that he calls lifestyle engineering. I'm, I'm doing finger quotes here. Good job. And uh, I know you guys listening are going to love it. Uh, we also talk a bit about commercial real estate investing as well as a bunch of other topics. There's tons of actionable stuff in here. Lots of advice for everybody, regardless of where they are in the real estate world. Yeah. Uh, I know I get excited about these shows that that help everybody out, and and so here we are again with me excited You're for yet excited. another show. I am excited. I'm so excited. I'm excited. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get let's get to the exciting show, shall Mark we? Mark Spidell. Let's do it. Mark, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you here. Thanks, guys. It's an honor. Yeah, this should be fun. Uh, we're talking about uh, investing in a couple things today. You do a, you do vacation rentals, you do commercial, you do uh, residential. You kind of cover the whole gambit, right? Correct. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, great. Why don't we start with how you got into that game? You know, I was pretty timid to start off with. I I would say um, I eased into it. I had an ADU, it's or like a mother-in-law apartment at my house, and some neighbors had been doing vacation rental. Had some success with that. Also, I had a background in uh, in banking and other just mortgage-related finance, uh, even kind of at a higher Wall Street level. And okay. from that, I always understood real estate, but to be a more active investor, it took me a while to kind of take the take the plunge. Hey, Mark, what's the ADU stand for? Additional dwelling unit. Got it. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I, there you go. You so basically, every day. So you were house hacking at the beginning. That was kind of how yeah. you got into yeah. it. Yeah. It was nice. a modified house hack for sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you decided to convert it, you said, into a vacation rental. So, Yeah, before we had a, a guy working for Comcast living in there that did nothing but kind of be creepy all day, in my opinion. <laughs> and and uh, so I was thought, branded. Yeah, uh, so I thought, gosh, how can we best uh, utilize this space? Because the nice thing about it was we could have friends and family stay there as well as get the income. So it was sort of a nice compromise at that time in life. Yeah. Nice. That's yeah, cool. So what inspired you to, to do it, though? I mean, at the end of the day, why why start renting it out? Did you have plans? What was your what was your goal up front? You know, did you want to just build some side income? Did you want to be, uh, you know, a full-time investor? At that time, I wasn't sure. You know, um, I've always been a bit of a hustler, but I, I think one of the challenges in my area is that it's the credit quality of the tenants is not all that hot. And mm-hmm. I'm not trying to, to pick on anybody because it's a tough place to live. It's an expensive market. So what I thought was a better route at that time, and I, and I still believe it, that's why my business has evolved this way, was if you go the vacation rental route, you obviously just get a different clientele. Yeah. 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 Would you say, I mean, I would assume those clientele are a lot higher because they're renting vacation rentals, right? Yeah, and, and the vacation rental minds, uh, mindset is, is a lot different, I would say. 80, 90% of the people, they tidy up when they leave. You know, they do exactly what you say in the instructions, and they're just pleasant to deal with. On the on the rental side of things, you know, you go through the background check, you look at their income, and everybody's a stretch around here just because just there's such a, a huge discrepancy between what people can make income wise here and really what rents are. And you're 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 in Glenwood Springs, right? So Correct. that's Colorado. What, what's yeah. around you? So uh, we are 45 minutes north of Aspen. So the Aspen market has a huge impact on our local market. And there were about an hour due west of Vail. So again, a major, major resort market there. So, okay. Yeah. And, and Glenwood Springs is beautiful. Um, it's, uh, you guys have hot springs and it's, it's an amazing place for anyone listening. You want a cool spot to go check out. But it's, it's, um, it's boundaried by these ultra, ultra, ultra high end uh, resorts. So, that that's kind of fascinating, you know. We we talk about these different market niches and market types, big cities and things like that. It's kind of neat to have somebody who's kind of caught in between the mm-hmm. two ultra high end neighborhoods. So, 
you you get into this, you've got this property and you've got this Wall Street background and, and where where does your mind take you? You know, like, all right, I've got this guy now renting out this mother-in-law ADU uh, apartment. How do you transition from that to kind of the next phases in your investing? Well, really, it was lifestyle focused. Um, my wife's a professional and she works a fair amount. At the same time, she's been fortunate to, to find a situation where she can work three quarter time. Uh, we now have a four year old and we have a four month uh, baby. Congrats. So thank you. Yeah. So big deal. And we're, we're very focused on, um, on wanting to do the parent thing correctly, you know, and it's, it's so hard, you know, in, in, a, in an expensive market and just how life is for, for modern people. So we're trying to figure out a way to have balance, have a little bit of control and have some, some freedom. Got so it. yeah, that's, that's why cool. we went more that's into cool. real estate. Okay. So let's talk about your, your first then non owner occupied deal. Uh, what did that look like? Well, I had been in the mortgage-backed securities industry studying uh, what was going to happen, really. You know, I, I went from doing work related to subprime mortgages and, and the different uh, companies that were involved in those mortgages, and I saw that there was going to be an opportunity in extreme uh, levels of default. So uh, I, I told my brother and my dad, hey, I think there's an opportunity here. Do you guys want to try to get, pull some money together and invest? And so we bought... Uh, two single family homes in the Dallas area and then a house uh, near DIA in Denver. And so that was sort of our first foray of saying, hey, there may be an opportunity here. Let's let's give it a shot. And um, as a partnership, it, it was just okay, but it was our first uh, way of kind of getting into real estate. So yeah, it was interesting. Okay. And you said those were single family, uh, you said in Denver, right? Yeah. One in Denver and two in Dallas. Oh, okay. Okay. And do you yeah. still own those today? or? Yeah. So I bought my brother and dad out of the partnership okay. uh, the beginning of last year. And that was uh, just sort of a, a piece to my overall puzzle that I have now. Okay. Can, can I ask you about the, the relationship thing? And you know, obviously maybe your family's got to listen to this, so don't talk bad about them, but yeah. do, you, do you have tips for people working with family? Because that is oftentimes people's first inclination is to go out and partner with their mom and dad, brother, sister, kids. What are your thoughts on that? What are some of the dangers and ways you can avoid that? The bad well, things? we're a very transparent family in that, uh, you know, we, we'd have formal loan documents if there's loans involved. Uh, we, you know, in fact, I would say it's almost a detriment because sometimes we're talking about it at Thanksgiving and my mom hates that. My, my <laughs> wife hates that. But yeah. at the same time, we, you know, we, everybody knows their role and is transparent about it. You know, it's not a awkward sort of thing. Uh, at the same time, though, we had different uh, roles and responsibilities and skills. But after a while, my, my brother, he uh, needed some money to invest in some of his other business ventures. And my dad was kind of getting just tired of even th- wanting to think about it. So he wanted out and it made sense for me to get bigger into real estate. Okay. Right on. So what, what year was this? We bought those houses in 2009. Okay. So right so after. It, yeah, it was right at the right time for sure. Perfect. All right. So, I mean, would you be willing to tell us, okay, you talked about, you got into bed with your brother and dad as your partners. Mm -hmm. Um, What did these deals look like? You know, what, what attracted you to them? Basically you could get over a 10% return on your money. That was pretty much, we were just back into the math and, and look at it that way, purely quantitative. We okay. were not looking at enough qualitative because we actually had some hiccups, and that's why we didn't grow more at that time because not everybody was on the same page, more on the qualitative aspects of what, what was involved. Can you, can you go into more detail uh, into what that means? I get, you know, qualitative, okay, so it's the sure. math. Uh, what's the quantitative part, part of the picture? Well, the quantitative we felt good about. Qualitative-wise, for example, at the house near DIA, um, we had the very first tenant, and it was my responsibility to find the property management company. I just Googled what's the, uh, what's the property management company in Denver, found the really big one, and uh, I got really big company service, and it wasn't good. <laughs> so long story short, we had a, uh, a woman applied to rent. Uh, she didn't ever really live there. A gang had paid her off. A, a group of gang members had paid her off to to get uh, access to the house. Ooh. So, yeah, two or three months in, um, they stopped paying. And then it takes a while for the eviction. And, you know, they were definitely sketch tough guys. 
um, I got uh, a relationship going with a neighbor, and so he would shoot me pictures every now and again. One day I get a, a text of an of a Escalade on blocks in front of the place. Uh, you know, bad things were going on for sure. Yeah. And so that was sort of part of the qualitative part where, you know, not everybody was feeling good about this. And, hey, my my bad. You know, that was a learning opportunity for sure. Yeah, yeah. I want I want to know more about this this uh, Escalade on blocks. I mean, were they putting yeah. like dr- drugs <laughs> in the tires or what? what no, I think what happened doing? that uh, somebody was not happy with whatever they did and took their tires. That's pretty took, funny. Took their wheels. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, but you know that very house though. I mean, that was a ninety thousand dollar house, and yeah. it is currently up for uh, renewal now. I built there. Let's see. Since we bought it, I would say we're on the third or fourth tenant, and um, you know, I. I might be able to sell it for two forty if I want, or you know, it's going to rent now for seventeen hundred. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, so back to the gang member. I mean, it's 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 interesting because I I had some drug doings in in property that I had, and and that was it was a it was scary, and it was um, you know, it was a pain in the backside to to get rid of these folks. Yeah. So, yeah. How did that go down for you? How did evicting, and I'm assuming your manager just dealt with it and you, you had nothing to do with it, but maybe not. Yeah. Well, and they, they dealt with it really poorly, to be honest with you. I mean, they wanted to take the path of least resistance, um, and I had to just follow up, you know, bang on the phone a lot. And, uh, you know, that was how it happened. And, you know, learned a lot from that. So um, now we have a much more smaller scale property management group involved and a much higher level of service, monthly report. And yeah, we're feeling good. So if you could go back, you know, and tell your your younger self, or maybe somebody else comes up to you and they're your exact shoes that you were in back then, you know, what can you tell them? Like, what lessons did you learn from that first, those first couple deals, maybe with your family uh, that you would warn uh, you know, listeners of the podcast right now about? I think at that time I was almost viewing it as a, you know, like I would view uh, an investment in a stock or a bond and just say like, oh, pure math, this is how we, how we do it. You sure, you know, instead of calling a, uh, an investment person, now I'm going to have to call a property manager and, you know, I'm going to make the very minimum decisions involved in this. And, and you know what, in hindsight, no, you, you need to be educated and you need to uh, make more than one phone call. To be, yeah, you know, yeah. It's just not that easy. Yeah, interviewing yeah. property managers is a monster monster task uh, it's it's of the utmost importance and you know we've got tons of resources on the site uh, that that go into that we've got a lot of articles that include questions to ask and things like that when interviewing uh, so for anybody listening if you're dealing with that um, I definitely encourage you to just jump on bigger pockets type in in the search like interview property managers and you'll come up with some cool stuff I think uh, everybody will find it uh, really yeah, helpful, helpful. Um, okay so yeah, Brendan made a note here mm-hmm. about uh, the crash coming. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to jump back and before we jump forward again, sure. you saw the crash coming. You were in the MBS, you know, space. What? Where are we today? I mean, do you do you think we're in a position? Uh, you know, Yellen just uh, made some changes right. uh, to yeah at the Fed, and and you know, where, where are we going? Well, looking backward. I I was in that industry from 2001 till about 2005, and part of the reason why I got out in 2005 was because all we were talking about was rising delinquencies at that point in time, and it was in a lot of the the tougher Rust Belt markets. And so I, I was just uh, I've always been a bit of a belt and suspenders type of guy. So I thought, you know what, maybe I need to diversify my skills a little bit. You know, uh, I'm I'm young. I'm going to try some different things out. And so I actually went to commercial appraising for a year. Didn't like that, but learned a lot. Went back to the MBS space for another few years. But from there, it was crazy because it was hot at that time. I mean, they were just pumping out the loans all the way through to about 2008. Uh, really, at, towards the end, all I was doing was work uh, for the FDIC, closing down small banks that still had mortgages on their portfolios. I mean, it was it was an interesting roller coaster for sure. But where we are now... Uh, I, I definitely agree with uh, with Brian, who was on the podcast a few episodes back. You know, he talked about the fact that, yeah, this time around, it's not just crazy lending that has escalated prices. There are fundamentals. I think that jobs have come back a bit. I think that incomes are supporting just 
the the mortgages that people are getting now. At the same time, though, I think there has been financial innovation where people have been able to get uh, access to credit in different ways. Subprime uh, financing is coming back, both auto and home. So that that is something I think that people have to consider. Where we are now, though, um, you know, I'm not sure that we're we're gonna have a big real estate crash so much as we may just not have as sexy of appreciation for the yeah. next few years is my, sure. is my feel for it. Fair enough. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, sure. Cool. All right. So what happened next at that, that um, you know, you got these first deals under your belt, you started working on them. Uh, maybe actually before you answer that, how did you finance those deals? Was it all cash or did you guys? Yeah, we just used uh, family money at okay. that point. And you know, it, they were cheap enough where uh, it wasn't too, uh, you know, we should have backed up the truck at that point in time and bought more, but you know, we were just kind of trying things out. And so, okay. yeah, it was pretty easy. Okay. So what happened next then? How did, how did you buy more? You know, I really took a break for a long time and, um, at, but when we bought those, I was actually transitioning. We, we were living in Glenwood that time. I used to live in Denver. Now we're in Glenwood trying to have, start a family. And I was working as a commercial banker at that time, doing commercial real estate loans. I was, uh, I was doing a lot of research on just the local markets, both residential and commercial. And so uh, I actually came across a commercial building loan that I liked. It was a, it was a new loan that we took, we had taken from another bank on a uh, commercial building that I felt had good tenants. And I had left that banking job and uh, went into something else, but I had always remembered that building. And sure enough, one day I drive by and I see this commercial building for sale. And so uh, the guy who was actually listing it was the same guy that helped me uh, buy a couple condos that I also have in my portfolio also. So got it. yeah, went into this commercial building. Interesting. Can, you, can you explain what you mean by you liked um, you liked the loan? So right. what, what's the distinction between that and liking the fundamentals of the property? Well, you know, um, so I guess it's kind of the same thing. I, mean, I, I understood the loan and there's just very few commercial loans in a market like this that actually fe- that, that look good, as, as, especially as a pure investment. If you, ha- you might have a situation where a business owner, maybe a restaurant owner wants to buy their, their, their real estate. Yeah, that makes sense. But as a pure investment in terms of commercial, you're buying this tenant income. There's not a whole lot in these markets that I think float. So this is one that did, and uh, I had always remembered that. So, yeah. Got it. So, so yeah, tell us about the property. Yeah. Yeah. So it has um, three major tenants, I would say, high-quality tenants. You know, and what I mean by high-quality tenant in a small market, you know, there's one of the top three real estate companies is in one of the bigger spots. Uh, I have a title company. I have a state farm agent. Then I have a, a, a dentist specialty type uh, guy in one spot. And then I have a couple of nonprofits. So I'm full except for one basement space that I actually use for my office right now. Um, yeah, it, it cash flows. It was uh, a brother sister team that inherited the property and they were really just not into real estate investing so much. I mean, they basically wanted to collect checks and not really think too hard on it. Sure. So there was a lot of deferred maintenance problems. The uh, utilities weren't handled well. Uh, the tenant relationships weren't all that great. Um, you know, just a lot of easy pickings to, uh, to work on to really add value. Okay. So how would, how would somebody know that? You know, how, how, how am I, as some novice real estate investor who's interested in commercial, see this property and be able to identify that uh, there was all this deferred stuff sitting around that I can, you know, potentially snap it up cheaply, make some fixes and, and you know, drastically improve the value? Yeah. You know, and uh, Brandon talks about uh, your unfair advantage. And really, I had the unfair advantage of seeing the loan, Yeah, you know, so that was in, in seeing the the types of leases involved. So that was something that uh, was a little bit unique in this situation. But it takes a long time on a commercial deal. And, you know, by by the just in terms of size, this was a $1.14 million deal. So not not a huge deal. But at the same time, it, it was, it's big for me and, but yet too small for, for bigger boys, right? You know, you're not going to get a large real estate investment group looking at that size of building and sure. the value add is really in the management. So, um, it took, a, it took, gosh, 
two, three months to really scrutinize the deal. I, I interviewed all the different tenants. I got a good handle on all the different deferred maintenance aspects. And uh, yeah, it was definitely intensive work. And it, it was still scary. I mean, at the end of it, because they weren't going to give me a lot of information. You know, yeah. they were only yeah. going to give me the least to, to get the deal done. And, and so it was hard. It was painful. Hey, Mark. So you, you touched upon something. There, there's this kind of hole on the market. Uh, mm. You know, this is a $1.14 million commercial deal. Too small for the big boys, but, you know, kind of scary, perfect for, for you. Right. Um, what, at what point is something not too small for the big boys? I mean, as somebody who's been in the commercial space, you know, when do the institutions start to take notice of properties? Is it 5 million? Is it 10 million? Is it 20? You know, I'm not sure I'm the best to answer that, but you would you would be surprised though. Like one of the things I learned from being a commercial real estate appraiser, uh, interesting story where a guy who had hotel experience bought a Hampton Inn in roughly 2005, and he knew that he could go in and manage that hotel better. It was underperforming. The people that he bought it from were uh, the original developers of the hotel, and they were going to get their uh, value add from just building the hotel, right, and yeah. selling it for the profit. So he he went in. He worked hard. You know, he lived in this hotel. He got the uh, the, the income up and uh, just got a better culture in there, and then he sold it a year later for roughly a million-dollar profit. So that that was, you know, I would call that at that time, it was a, a $6 million hotel. So that was one guy doing that. And I think he maybe had one or two investors. So that was, I would say, not yet at that scale of, of the bigger time guys. So really, I think the bigger investors are going to look for something that's at least 10 million bucks. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So how did you finance that property? How were you able to, uh, do you do cash or do you financing? No, well, I actually went to the very bank I used to work for okay. and I and I said, hey guys, wouldn't it be nice for you to keep this loan? And I helped them, you know, do some of the underwriting work. I showed them what I was going to do. You know, I gave them countless spreadsheets of, you know, this is how I'm going to add value and I'm going to make this work. And it, it worked. And that was with a very conservative bank. So uh, I felt good that we were able to get it done. Interesting. That's cool. I, you know, I, 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 pretty much every webinar I do here on Bigger Pockets, I do a weekly webinar, usually on, I don't know, Wednesdays or Thursdays, but people can sign up at biggerpockets.com slash webinar. But anyway, almost every webinar, I stress this idea of help your banker out. When you're trying to apply for a loan, when you're trying to get a, a deal, the more work you can do for your banker, you know, if they've got 10 loans they got to try to process and one of them is handed to them on a silver platter and one of them they have to dig and spend Hours and hours of time digging. Who right. are they gonna? Who are they gonna help? And sure, you're the, you're the front of the line when you help them. So I love that you said that you help them with spreadsheets and with documents, and you showed them. You know, this is why it is a good deal. I love. Oh, that. absolutely. Well, and you know, and that's a, that's a great tip because. Being a commercial banker, I can tell you that it is hard. You know, mm -hmm. most of your day is just vetting through folks, having them get, trying to have to give them bad news that, sorry, you know, you're just not in a good position. Yeah. And, they, and they're not even close to, to being ready to help themselves. You know, that's, that's the hard part about it is they, they don't even have the information. They're, they're not even in the ballpark of, of knowing that they're, they, they could even apply for a commercial loan. At the same time, though, I mean, I still have friends that work for this bank. You know, it's a large regional bank and, you know, there's cost cutting. You know, there's a lot of pressure in that market. So the easier you can make it on your banker, the, you know, but they really want your loan. There are very few good commercial real estate loans out there. So the easier you can make it, they want to give you the loan for sure, but they just have time and resource problems for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. I did it when I was trying to get a loan on my 24 unit apartment complex. I had a five unit and a 24 unit trying to get a loans on them. And I went to a couple different banks and I had a lot of trouble getting it. And it wasn't until I flipped that switch in my mind and said, you know what, I'm going to help this banker do their job for them. And like I went and printed out this really nice report, uh, and I I gave them every bit of information they could have possibly wanted, and then gave them more information to verify it. I put it inside of a plastic binder. And I even used like the bigger pockets, like rental property calculator report on the front of it that showed them all the numbers. I gave it to them within a day. I was approved for both those loans. Nice. I, yeah, and it was like. Oh, well, that, that was way easier. And I, I realized because before that, I was handing them a box of paperwork. Yeah, and, yeah. and they hate that. And so, of yeah. course, they turn me down because they're busy doing other stuff. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah. Hey, Mark, Mark, tell me about that two to three month vetting period. Um, mm -hmm. you know, what, I think a lot of the, the folks here want to know what exactly are you doing? You know, what is, what, what is it that it, you know, is it not just evaluating what they give you? You know, 
you have to go out and actually source some some information yourself, right? You have to do some sure. detective work. Uh, can you talk about what exactly uh, you're doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I would say the big parts of that were uh, having specialists come out. So I had a roofing guy, I had an HVAC guy come out. And versus with a residential deal, you might just hire a home inspector, right? You know, and and there's there's some value to that, arguably. Uh, but with this, especially with the roof, with the HVAC, I knew those were were big deals. I also talked with the um, uh, the city utility company and uh, worked with them a little bit, try to get an idea of how I could add value there, as well as uh, there's a um, energy savings nonprofit around. And so through them, I got some ideas on how I could add value through energy savings. So like LED lights was a big, big project that we did. For example, uh, this building, one of the buildings is, um, you know, the assessor shows it as 1950 era. So it had the old school T12 uh, halogen lights awful, awful in terms yeah. of energy efficiency. So through uh, replacing those lights with LED, not only did the um, energy uh, nonprofit help me by covering over half the cost of that improvement, but then I got the tenant to pay go halvesies with me on the other half. Nice. So then I'm only out uh, a quarter of the of the cost. And so now it's a win-win for everybody, right? That's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's great. Cool. Um, do you... Do you need to be locked in a contract in order to have these specialists come out, or can you actually do that just with the hey, we're 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 in diligence period and we're going to have people come and look? Yeah, yeah, that wasn't hard. The owners were were helpful there, and again, uh, my broker was the one who was listing the property. So although he had to walk that fine line of you know serving both parties, uh, he was also though helpful in you know doing what he could to facilitate that. No. So the answer is yes, you can actually do it without being in contract. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Perfect. Cool. 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 Well, let me talk about financing a little bit more. You know, you being a commercial financing guy, uh, how does that differ? For those people who don't know, how does commercial financing differ from residential financing? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we talk a lot about portfolio loans. And so I have both. I have residential portfolio loans that I uh, use a small commercial uh, bank in Texas. And then I have uh, the Colorado commercial building that is also a commercial loan. So, uh, well, some of the bigger differences are with the 30-year loan, you're talking about 30-year fixed rate 30-year amortizing loans. With a commercial, both of them are 20-year amortizing, both my residential portfolio loan and my commercial building loan. Those are both 20-year AMs, but five-year terms. So, uh, What's that mean? I mean, what's a five-year term mean? So five-year term, we're talking about at the end of five years, you either have to refi or you have to pay off. Uh, Actually, with my uh, Texas residential portfolio loan, that one's a little bit different. It just adjusts. Okay, uh, the yep. trade adjusts after that, so not so, as much exposure. Now, a lot of people might be wondering. I mean, if you've got a, you got five years, that's not very much time, right? So you got this multi-million dollar potentially loan with a commercial property, and the bank says we'll give you five years to do something with this. Doesn't that? I mean, like that seems a lot risky, of pressure. Right? That's a lot of pressure, right? How do you get around that? Or it, what are your well, thoughts? Well, true, on that? but you you are uh, your loan's amortizing twenty years. Right. So you yeah. are going to have that loan pay down. So sure. it should be easier to refinance at that point in time. At the same time, though, you know, I, I thought uh, Ben had had some good points. And I know some of the other folks on, on the. You're talking uh, about Ben Leibovich? Yes. You might. <laughs> no, I, I think you've got it all wrong. <laughs> I mean, he drives a Tesla. He does drive a I mean, Tesla. I know. I mean, oh, okay. Well, that's, that, all I that that. all. that's all I took away from that podcast was the fact that Ben now has a Tesla. I was They're like. talking about show one, what was it, 151 or 52? I forget. I don't remember. I'll look it yeah. up. Yeah. I could just totally imagine Ben pimping around Lima, Ohio in his Tesla, you know, just, just sporting it. Yep, I'm sure he's very, very uh, happy with that, I'm sure. It was episode, by the way, 152, biggerpockets.com, so show 152. Probably one of the best shows we've done. It was a great show. A fantastic show, and uh, you can learn all about Ben's Tesla, uh, so check it out. <laughs> all right, so definitely the, the adjustable thing makes me a little nervous. I mean, I have it too, right? My, I think mine... I can't remember now for sure. I should know this, but I think mine's a ten-year. It's got a ten-year balloon payment on it. Twenty, twenty or twenty-five AM. I think it's twenty-year. Anyway, my thinking is the same thing. I, after ten years or after five years, whatever, I'll have it paid down significantly. Hopefully, prices will go up. If not, the bank could call it and say, "You know what? We said you had to pay this back." But at the same time, they're not going to. My hope is, if the market did tank, they're not going to want to 
necessarily go and foreclose on me anyway. So they're going to want to work with me, hopefully, if yeah. worst case scenario happens. But that's on the variable rate, right? That's on the one where where, where you go variable. What about the, the five-year term? No, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about right. yeah, after the well, end of that. you do have a risk. And yep. you know, I, the, I worked for a very conservative bank that actually had uh, inherited a ton of loans from another bank that they, uh, they bought. And they kicked a ton of loans out because you know, they weren't well underwritten. Hmm. And... Uh, you know, they just didn't fit the guideline anymore. So a lot of folks had to go hustle after yep. that five-year mark and uh, go to the other bank in town. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. There was a lot of hard stories, you know, in 2008 to 2010 yep. in the commercial market, for sure. This is why also I don't I, I don't like, if I'm going to have a short-term loan, like I said, the ones that I have 10 years or, or whatever, like I want to make sure I have enough equity in there even now and that I'll have even significantly more. Like I don't want to over-leverage my my risky loans, so to speak, right? I want to, I want to have that option to later on be able to get out. And that's why commercial loans typically don't lend 90% loan to value. You know, they're what, 60, 70% usually, right? Right. Well, and from the bank's perspective, they do not want to be long. Yep. You know, they, they don't, I mean, even talking about a seven year loan, they just, a lot of them just pucker up because they yep. have interest rate risk. They yep. don't want to deal with that. At the same time, though, as an investor, it gives you discipline to have that five year mark because if you have a house that you've had for five years and sort of the uh, buy and mold theory that some people talk about that, you know, you really shouldn't just keep some of these things forever. Maybe it is time to parse something out of your portfolio after five years and then, you know, you start again. Yeah. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're ready to open a business bank account for your new property. You know what that means? Coordinating a time between you, your co-founders, and your bank consultant. Waiting at the branch or waiting for hours on the support line. Who has time for that? With Relay, you can open a business bank account for your property 100% online from anywhere. Create up to 20 accounts to organize money by property or by categories like expenses, taxes, or investments. Effortlessly collaborate with role-specific access. That means giving your cleaner a debit card for cleaning supplies or your accountant read-only access to your transactions. Own multiple businesses? Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just, I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into 10 business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums, and it takes just 10 minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets for stress-free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to R-E-L-A-Y-F-I.com 
slash bigger pockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. Hey, Mark. So, one, uh, what, what is the standard down payment on a commercial loan? Usually, I see it as 30%. 30%. Okay. Yeah. And then what tips do you have for somebody who's looking to go and purchase a commercial property uh, to minimize their risk? Um, how, how do they go about doing that? You know, I would say uh, homework is your key, but uh, the best thing about being in that market, you just have a lot, a lot of fewer competition. For example, I'm, I'm by far the youngest uh, commercial real estate investor in my town. Everybody else, uh, if, if I go around talking to just different people that are, are tenants in buildings, I'll ask them, hey, um, uh, who's your landlord? And they'll say like, you know, some LLC out of California, I've never met them. And how long have you rented here? Oh, 15 years. You've never met <laughs> your, your landlord in 15 years. You know, it's just a faceless thing. Or you have an old school investor who's had the building for 25 years and they're, they're getting older and they don't want to put any money into it. So it's pretty easy actually to, if you hustle, you know, to, to be the best landlord in a small market and uh, have a lot of success. Mark, how, how really quick, how old are you? I turned 40 in June. Oh, oh I, I got, got you beat. Yeah. February. Nice. You are an old guy, by the way. Well, look at my hair. I mean, I'm, I'm very, uh, you know, you have great hair compared to uh, to me. I got the oh, silverback gorilla going on for sure. Looking good, man. Yeah. Looking good. It's all uh, so good. Okay. So you, you say that it, it's not that hard for those who want to hustle. It maybe isn't as hard as people might envision getting into commercial real estate. But I, I want to go more basic than that. Sure. Why, why get into commercial real estate? What's mm-hmm. the point? I mean, what are the benefits of going into that niche? Well, it, it comes down to uh, commercial real estate is valued based on the income of the property. And there is more uh, value add because, yeah, you can cut expenses and, you know, there's, there's plenty of deals out there where you can, you can better manage the expense. At the same time, though, you should be able to hustle and be more creative. For example, you might have, and, and you've had a lot of good guests talk about this. Let's say you buy a commercial building. You need an office yourself. There could be a lot of benefits just right there. Uh, you may have some friends that need office space, but then downstairs you have a basement that's completely unutilized. Well, all of a sudden, just due to uh, social media, just different apps, whatever it might be, why not make the, the your basement of this building a mini storage, for example? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can totally do that now, where I think 10 years ago that was not even not even in the ballgame. Yep. Yep. I, I, love that. I, I like commercial for that very reason, the ability to add value by being creative. And by using your head, you can just add cash to your pocket at the end of the day, uh, as well as equity later on the road. I, I think that's awesome. Uh, do you manage your properties yourself, the, the commercial ones? Uh, I manage everything in Colorado myself, with exception of the Denver property. Uh, the stuff I have in Texas, I have a manager down there. Um, but yeah, everything in, in uh, Glenwood, I do manage myself. So okay. what is... you? I, I We've talked to the nth degree about managing houses and, and, and stuff like that. But we haven't really talked about managing the commercial. So mm-hmm. w- what is that like? What's different about it? Hmm. That's a good question. I would say that uh, you obviously have some different things going on. You have uh, snow removal is a bigger issue. You have uh, just landscaping. You have outdoor trash. Uh, you know uh, things that you just don't have to deal with as much with residential. You know the leases are much more complicated, so you can't go cheap there. You really should use attorneys when possible. You know, I think also culture is a big deal at a building. If you can have a good culture where everybody gets along, you have good synergies between tenant businesses, uh, that really goes a long way too, adding yeah. value. That's a, we, we just signed our, our first, you know, we've, we've been working out of a co-work space for, mm. for a little while and just signed our first commercial lease. We've got a you know 2,700 square foot office space now. Wow. And what a, oh man, I mean, this was not signing your five, six page, you know, residential. I think, I think our current lease is 69 pages. Wow. Something like that. I mean, yeah, triple net and cab and all that. Uh, you know, I mean, it's exceptionally complicated. You know, there's all sorts of, you know, gotchas and things like that. And, you know, I've, I've looked at our leases in the past that had, you know, I mean, very old school tenants and you know i would need to literally get permission to put wi-fi in mm. the office space but but a typewriter was okay 
you know, <laughs> written in the list. Right. Like really? Um, so yeah, I, I, I think your advice about using a real estate attorney is, is spot on. I mean, I listen, I think it's spot on for any, anybody, but particularly for commercial because to go through that kind of paperwork and assume that you're going to know what the hell you're doing uh, as a tenant and as a landlord, is remarkable. But yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and the culture part, I think it's something that I bet a lot of the big corporate landlords don't think about as, again, as somebody who was shopping. Right. And we looked at a lot of buildings and it's like, you know, you've got this surgeon's office and you've got next to it, you know, uh, just these random combinations. And you're like, they're never going to interact. There never is going to be this positivity, this vibe within the building itself. And, and I think by trying at least to establish some kind of culture, you, I, I think you can, like anything else, get longer term leases, get people who to stick around and want to be there because you know that's just that little extra that is going to keep them from moving somewhere else. Yeah. And a couple of my tenants have been in the building since the mid nineties. So, you know, there's a lot of value to that. And uh, if you're a good landlord, if, if you hustle and everybody gets along, you know, sure. Why, why are they going to leave? It's a hassle to leave. Yeah. So how do you make it, you know, how do you, how do you make your buildings, how do you landlord differently than the big corporate faceless uh, nameless uh, entities that are out there doing it? What, you know, what's, what gives um, a commercial, a, a tenant, um, what do you do to attract those tenants that much more uh, than those big guys? Well, first off, if somebody calls, I reply within at least uh, no more than two hours. Second, uh, I usually meet with the primary decision maker once a year, and I go through just different maintenance things I'm doing, different improvements I'm doing, let them know who the neighbors are. I'll go out of my way to say uh, to a new tenant, hey, do you, have you met everybody? And we'll go around and we'll shake hands and uh, you know just get everybody comfortable. Uh, in just fact, this year, um, I gave everybody uh, a Jimmy John's lunch for uh, just being good tenants you know, and uh, for, for the holidays. So yeah, little nice. stuff like that. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. All right. So before we get out of here, I want to touch base on a little bit more besides just the commercial. We got to talk about vacation rentals and your commercial. What else do you do besides that? You have more than that, right? Yeah. So uh, I have my portfolio in, in Texas that I don't really do a whole lot with, but it's just a lot of single family homes. Okay. Then uh, the commercial building we've talked about. And then I have four short-term vacation rentals that I do uh, VRBO and Airbnb, okay. uh, that, that kind of strategy. But then I have four other furnished condos that I do month or longer. And that can, it's a nice synergy with the vacation rentals because uh, I might have somebody that's longer term that I can move into a vacation rental in the shoulder slow season. Or uh, I, I'm getting a lot of uh, traveling nurses, temporary workers. So sometimes those folks need to stay for three months, sometimes six months. Or I may have a retired couple that wants to ski for the season. You know, they want to spend a couple thousand bucks a month on a vacation rental furnished condo. And yeah, it works out great. Well, that's cool. And you manage all those yourself, you said, right? Yeah, I, you know, I have a lot of help. I have a couple of cleaning people, a couple of maintenance okay. people. But uh, I do all the sort of FaceTime with the uh, guests slash, you know. Uh, tenants. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and do you anticipate in the future, are you going to do more vacation rentals, more commercial? Where, mm-hmm. are, you, where are you headed? You know, uh, I, I would like to, uh, I, I may go to into the direction of just be, be a, a pure technology play of doing more marketing for other vacation rentals okay. and, per, and help them provide some structure to their business. I personally don't want to uh, use my time uh, to really kind of grow that aspect of it. Uh, next step, though, I, I find a lot of value add in understanding and executing on bigger deals. So, but sort of these these medium to, to larger deals for me, you know, a million to five million bucks. I'm going to look for other investors and we're going to um, execute on uh, some of those opportunities. Okay, cool. Yeah. Hey, hey, Mark, you've got SFRs, you've got the commercial, the vacation short-term, you've got the vacation long-term. I mean, that's a that's a pretty unique mix. I, and, and it seems like one that you probably crafted intentionally. Um, is, is that the case? Did you do that intentionally? You know, part of it was it was the best opportunity at the time. Okay. You know, a lot of the vacation rentals uh, in a resort market at the time I bought a, a few of these, they were the best thing in terms of value to buy in terms of just price point. Uh, you know, what you could do if worst case scenario is to do a uh, a 12 month lease. I mean, you could go that route. It's not going to give you the best yield. 
but you know, it's, it's a good worst case scenario. So that's why I did that. At the same time, though, it is a little bit labor intensive, especially on the vacation rental side to really execute that well. It's not a passive business, but it, it can be lucrative. Yeah. Hey, and really quickly, because you brought it up, uh, you talk about the, the furnished uh, versus vacation versus your standard longer term lease. What goes into that? You know, how, how different it seems like kind of a quasi in between the two. Um, what's, what's different about running a uh, furnished uh, property short term and a super short term apartment uh, vacation rental and again, a longer term uh, typical lease? Right. Well, you know, obviously cleaning is, is a big part of that and just having a standard. Uh, you know, so we've kind of come up with a little bit of a program between my two cleaning folks and my maintenance people that when it's time to, uh, to have a turnover, you know, we execute, we, you know, we know what we're going to do that day. And I'm, I'm, I'm planning that a couple of weeks in advance, always at the same time. Uh, just keeping them booked because I've actually had a lot of success. I would say with my uh, sort of intermediate term rentals, I've only had a couple months in the past four years where I haven't had those things filled. So what that means though is I might have a traveling nurse who's working in the area for six months. Well, she called and I told her because of uh, just a tight market, I can I can accommodate you here for the first two months and then I'm going to move you over there for the next. And you know what? They don't really have a lot of choice and I have the best product. So that's how the synergies sort of work with all these different units. Well, that's cool. Right I love, I love the, the yeah. diversification within that asset class, you know, like, and, and I also love how, you know, I wrote a blog post on this a couple of weeks ago, but this topic of when finding out what strategy you should do, you got to look at, you know, what are you good at? What are your abilities? What are, What's your location like? You know, like it's kind of like this intersection of a lot of different things. And for you, I love that you just figured that out that this works for you in your area. And that's why I advise people all the time listen to as many podcasts as you can because you start to hear these things. And today there's probably dozens of people going, man, Mark's strategy is exactly what I want to do. Like that is my, that works for me. I'm in a great area for that. And other people are like, eh, you know, maybe someday down the road I'll, I'll, I'll keep it in the file cabinet and come back to it. So I just love that. That's very cool. And and the reminder that there is no one set path for anybody. For particularly, I, I just I think it's important to reiterate this for the newbies. You know, despite what the quote unquote educators out there might tell you, there isn't a single path. There isn't a single strategy. That's well, there is, work. but I'm not going to tell you what it is unless you pay me nine ninety seven. Uh, hold on, let me bust out my wallet right now. <laughs> I mean, it. let me call my credit card company yep, and expand race. my limit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, every niche, you know, he's working, you know, within his market, what works there. He's looking at the niches and the strategies and kind of polishing and creating a formulating a plan that works for himself. And that's the key is, you, you know, create that plan, create that strategy up front uh, so that you can start to take steps forward and, and actually start making things happen. Well, it, it was it was purposeful in that it was a little bit lifestyle engineering. I said, "Well, how much time and effort and um, energy do I want to spend on, on certain things, and how much cash do I really want to have?" If if you use the mindset of every month put yourself in a position to take more and more risk, then all of a sudden you can get to a place to do really cool things. So I've I've kind of hit phase one where between what my wife's doing, what I'm doing, we have enough to to uh, really do some cool things in both in terms of we have more control and flexibility with our time. But at the same time, now I'm to the place where I can say, you know what, maybe I, I get a couple people together and we go look at that $2 million deal. You know, I, I know I can get the, the bank loan set up. I know that we can add value to this deal. You know, all of a sudden, uh, it, it can start to get more fun. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. I love that. I like that term, uh, lifestyle engineering. You said yeah. that, that's kind of cool. like, cause that's what it is. Right? You're, you're saying, this is what I want out of my life. I'm going to build it out of my real estate investing. I'm going to engineer this to make it happen. Right. And uh, it's one of the things that we all love about real estate is the ability to do that. So very cool. Now, yeah. well, last question I have before we, uh, get out of here or before we move to the fire round anyway is what are some of the potential like pitfalls or, you know, things that can, happen when you invest in those resort areas, the mountain towns, the things like you're doing right now? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of folks do not give enough credit to just the fact of liquidity. And these markets are more like rubber band type reactions. So when things are going great, all of a sudden, uh, there's just uh, a lot of activity going on and you'll have a hard time finding a place to rent or buy. At the same time though, boy, when it got soft, it got soft hard. You know, it, it, you know, a funny way of saying that, but yeah. that's really, really what happened, right? Yeah. So, um, 
you know, I mean, there. And the thing about it is, in a resort market, there's not cookie cutter houses so much. A lot of the stuff that really got into trouble was like the eight eight hundred thousand dollar custom home that was just an oddball, and you know, it sat there uh, vacant, yeah. and there was there was a problem with it, or. Um, you know, the, the same thing with the commercial side of things, too. You know, there's just not not a lot of liquidity in these markets whenever things, you know, don't don't go well. So uh, from the investor's perspective, you know, you have to have money in reserves to to uh, get you through these tough times. Yeah, that's a good point. That, that is a, uh, a great bit of advice. And I think uh, we can apply that to absolutely anybody in real estate, whether they be a flipper or or, you know, rental property, you know, single family rental property owner. I mean, reserves are absolutely key. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think it's coming again to the point where, um, if we do have another soft spell, there's just a lot of people stretching right now, whether it's, you know, you might get caught on a couple bad flips or, uh, you might get caught doing a couple spec houses. You know, that's, that's when the heartache starts for sure. Yeah. 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 Very true. All right. Well, Hey, let's shift gears and move over to the world famous fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right. Thank you very much to our sponsor of the fire round. Let's move on and uh, ask you those fire round questions. So these questions come direct from the Bigger Pockets forums, and we're going to fire match you. Number one, how can I know what a commercial property is going to rent for? You know, that that is uh, difficult because uh, in a small market, you may not have good comparables. So, but uh, you can't go on the MLS. You can't see what things are running for. The important thing, especially in a small market, is to look at what the, the gross rent rates are and the net rates are and do your adjusting to really get a good handle on what the market rates are for your, for your product type. Okay. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like how you would value a, you know, the purchase price of a house. You just got to find what similar ones are going for and adjust up and down based on, you know, what your property has and doesn't have. Well, that, but also, uh, if it's a gross lease, let's say it's it's a gross at twenty dollars a square foot. Okay, well then, so, you know, you might be going on triple net. Well, the triple net's fifteen dollars, but it's really hard building to building to know what those expenses are going to be. So, mm-hmm. apples to apples is is more difficult. It does take a little homework and a little bit of math. Okay, cool, yeah. awesome. All right, my question: Do I need a commercial real estate broker to find a good commercial deal? No, absolutely not. You know, and I like the fact that Ben was talking about sitting in his Tesla and the guy sat <laughs> down and wanted to uh, talk about uh, selling his commercial portfolio. I mean, that is how a lot of business happens. In fact, you know, there's some folks in, in my town that, uh, you know, I know are, are getting to a point in their life where maybe they don't want to be property owners. Maybe they want to be property lenders. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to those folks for sure. Yep. So, so you think just the relationships is the best way to get out there and source deals? I mean, obviously, brokers are a great resource. Right. Well, in small markets especially, there's not a lot of people that, quote-unquote, specialize in commercial real estate brokerage. You know, Because to lease a commercial space in a small town is not all that fun. I mean, there's not a whole lot of sexy action in terms yeah. of commission on that kind of stuff, as well as just selling those buildings. It's not as fun and easy as to sell a luxury home, for example. So why, why does somebody want to get in that business? So there is a lot of opportunities in the small markets to uh, just go out and hustle, talk to, you know, make calls and get to know people for sure. Outstanding. Cool. Next question. What's your best advice for people looking to invest in another city outside of their own? You know, maybe they found a city that's growing really fast or that, you know, they think there's potential. What's your best advice for somebody doing that? I would say to, to find somebody to partner with in that community. And you have to go in with the mindset of, uh, of a win-win for everybody involved. In fact, uh, I have two deals closing before the end of the year. And one of them is in Tulsa. And, and I got to know a guy in Tulsa uh, on a recent trip. And I know uh, what his goals are in life and, and kind of what his capacities are. And so, uh, you know, he and I are going to work together. I'm going to be the money guy. And, um, you know, hopefully we, we have a good result on that. So he's nice. going to be my boots on the ground. Fantastic. Yeah. Very good. Cool. That's great. Uh, last question. Do you think out of country investing is a smart move for new investors? Mm. Boy, you know, the only thing I've ever looked at was uh, things in Puerto Rico and in Mexico. And, uh, you know, you just have a lot of things that are outside your control there. And it's a, it's a long flight oftentimes to, to go and take care of those things. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm not to that point. So I don't have a good response for you. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the last segment of the show. Famous for. All right. Number one, what is your favorite real estate book? Mm. 
You know, it's it's sort of a real estate slash business book. I, I do like the Rich Dad Poor Dad uh, Four Quadrant. Oh yeah, the cash flow quadrant. quadrant. Yeah, yeah, cash flow quadrant. Yeah. yeah. So just was checking that out the other day, and you know, good mindset book for sure. Right cool. On. What about business book? So I actually have it here with me. This is a non-traditional choice. This is not your light bedtime reading. I recommend folks uh, pick up a used old copy of the Kaplan Schwazer CFA Level 1 uh, Financial Reporting oh. and Analysis. <laughs> yes, very boring, very boring. But uh, within you know a, a phone book-sized book, you can really get a, a good brush up on, on accounting or if, if you're completely new to some of that stuff, it'll really help you. Uh, you really get to the point where you can prepare that stuff for the banks, et cetera. You know, oh, cool. yeah. Yeah. You, know, you know, what's interesting about that is as you escalate in, in the levels of real estate investing from novice to become more advanced, I mean, you really do need to become more sophisticated in your, uh, in your knowledge base. And, you know, while I give grief to you know, this book that is likely exceptionally boring, you know, you have to, you got to start to understand some of this stuff, well, huh? The pages are so, so thin. They're, they're comparable to like Bible book <laughs> pages. So yeah, I can get, I get that. Yeah. yeah. Right on. All right, Mark, you got two kids. You're living in a pretty cool part of the world. What do you do for fun? You know, besides the normal hiking and skiing, uh, do a lot of backcountry skiing. You know, that's where you put skins on the skis, go uphill. So uh, that's great exercise, a lot of fun. Um, and wait, wait, then, wait, can you go back? What are you talking about? I've never heard that term. You never that. heard of that? No. What is that? You put skins on what? Yeah, skins on your skis. It's yeah. called uh, alpine touring, AT skiing. Huh? And on. so you, you put skins on the skis, you go up the hill. You can go check out stuff that, uh, you know, the resorts can't offer. Huh? And yeah, it's, uh, you have to be careful with the avalanche danger. So yeah, I got to give that disclaimer, but uh, it's, it's awesome. Great workout, great views. And then you get powder turns. Yeah, cool. Back yeah. Country, and then, that country is really cool. Yeah, and then a lot of road biking too. This is a good area for road biking. Um, and I do want to um, encourage any bigger pockets listeners to come visit me in Glenwood Springs. I will give a 10% off BP Ooh. discount to anybody that wants to stay at one of my vacation rentals. But we may end up drinking beer and talking about real estate. So <laughs> nice. yeah, awesome. that, that may be part of the deal. So. I'm coming. I'll see you tonight. Nice. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Last question for me. And the last question of the famous four. What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? You know, I liked what Brian said in, the, in that same episode we mentioned before about just the why. And, and I think that if, if your why is that you just don't like your boss and you think that real estate is going to solve your problems, uh, you're going to have a tough time. I think that the why has to be multifaceted. If you really want the freedom, if you want the lifestyle engineering that we talked about, um, you know, real estate can help you, but make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. I love it. Great. I love it. Great. Love it. Mark, thank you so much for coming on board. Are you ready? plugged your vacation rentals and your 10% <laughs> discount. Where can people find out more about you? You know, I think uh, BP is the best way for the community and I uh, look forward to hearing from folks for sure. Awesome. And awesome. We, will, we will, of course, link to that in the show notes so people can check you out there. At pickerpockets.com nice. slash show 156. There you go. All right, Mark. It's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for coming on board. Thanks for being a part of the BP family and uh, enjoy the snow. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Over a foot this week. Nice. Yeah, we've had almost a foot this week in Denver. So I feel you. I'm in. Nice. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, guys. I don't know. There was was a lot of wisdom in there. I hope you guys are able to get it all. If you weren't, get back in there. Listen up again. It's, uh, I don't know. This show is difficult. It's funny because like you want to pick like, hey, we've done 156 shows. Which was my favorite? Which were my top 10, my top 15 and and I don't know about you, but like I, I'm finding it harder and harder to yeah. do that, uh, just because the quality uh, of the shows is so good. And and just I I don't think I leave uh, an interview without walking away with something. Yeah, yeah, same here. I mean, every guest we have now, I, I learn from continually, and the shows we've recorded that are coming up soon, like they're incredible as well. Like it's just been it's been a really good run on this podcast with, with amazing guests. So thank you guys to our amazing guests, those people are listening who have been on the show. And if you are listening to the show and you think you could be an amazing guest, uh, we would love to talk to you more about that. So go to biggerpockets.com/guest and fill out the simple form there and let us know uh, what you do and what you uh, can bring to the bigger pockets table. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, before we roll out, I want to, I want to read a review. Sure. Uh, this is from desert skier. Uh, he left it on January 2nd. 
we've got a real estate investment group here in Dubai. And many of the members recommended bigger pockets, so I thought I'd give it a try. This is indeed a brilliant project for all those who value their freedom, time, and financial. I love listening to the other real estate investors and pick up on as many little details I have not thought I've not thought about. I can't talk, I can't read. I'm convinced <laughs> that the information provided allowed me to bring more astute decisions to my own business, which probably avoided many mistakes called experience. Great podcast. Thank you for bringing it to us. Mm-hmm. Well, that is pretty awesome. I love it. The listeners are everywhere. Dubai, you name it. We've, we've, uh, we've, got, uh, we've got listeners everywhere. So big thanks to you. Uh, and if you want to leave us a review, uh, please do so. Uh, just jump on iTunes and you could leave us a rating and review and we would very much appreciate it. Otherwise, jump on the show notes, biggerpockets.com slash show 156. It's biggerpockets.com slash show 156. And uh, I don't know. That's all I got. What do you got? That's all I got. That's a, it's a great show. Go listen to uh, last week's if you haven't listened to it or next week if we're done. That's Take it. Take us out of here. Take us out. Okay. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks again for being part of the Bigger Pockets community. Happy New Year. Uh, you know, use this time to crush your goals. We'll see you on the other side. For Bigger Pockets, this is Brandon and Josh signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.